0: My goodness gracious. It is Tuesday. I can't even believe it. It's August 31st. This is the Macro Setup. I'm Guy Adami, joined as always by my dear friend Dan Nathan. Today's episode is being brought to you by our presenting sponsors, uh, IGUS, one of the fastest growing Forex dealers in North America. And by the way, we're going to be joined by the great Chris Vecchio, senior strategist at Daily FX in just a few minutes. And our other sponsor, of course, open exchange. They manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Dan, as you can tell, I'm a little geeked up here, but how are you on this one? Yeah, geeked
1: up as we kind of barrel into the end of the summer here. Guy, we got a couple of things. We got some scary stats, as you called it on the Twitter this morning, and some scary charts as we kind of power our way at all time highs into the fall here. Right. And then what happened, man, we were all geeked up, as you would say about the Jackson hole fed boondoggle. And yeah, nothing happened. yeah. Nothing happened. The taper got tamed a little bit. Right. And then what do they, what do they call that? You, uh, people call it like a nothing burger. I don't even know what that I means. Hate that. That's
0: I been a, I, I listen, you don't. That you expression. can imagine what I feel about expressions like that. Yeah. So let's look at our top three and yeah. you mentioned it scary and we're going to show you some scary stuff here from our dear friend carter braxton worth and the taper has been tamed you talked about that we talked about that when they said they're going virtual we actually said you know what that's a sign that's their all clear sign that's their air cover sign yeah that's it they're going to push this sucker out sign and then growth back in favor but we're going to leave that to the great chris vecchio dan uh let's just talk real quick because there are some scary random stats brought to you by our dear friend, Carter Braxton
1: Worth, in the form of a tweet. Yeah, man. All right. I love this one. This just got me all excited. For the month of August, we've already made 10 new intraday highs. Count yesterday, that was 11. We only have one more day in August, as you know, so the max we can do... Is 12, Guy Dami. <laughs> um, but he says this hasn't happened since 1987. In 1987, in August, there were 11 new all-time highs. I remember that. Here's why today is so important. This is why you are so fired up and I'm so fired up. The record number of intraday all-time highs in the month of August is 11, which happened in 1929. So here's, here's the deal. Are we doing it? I mean, are we doing this thing, Guy? Are we going to break well, the record? Say,
0: well, I mean – it, it certainly feels as though, I mean, every, the, the, the stars are aligned to break a record. Uh, why not? Because this, quite frankly, last 18 months, all we've been doing has been breaking records. But let's take a look at some charts that can illustrate exactly yeah. what we're seeing here, Dan Nathan. That's the S&P 500 chart. As you like to say, uh, to the penny in terms of that trend line, that channel that you've drawn so nicely, <laughs> you could probably extend that channel out to January. It doesn't matter. You see what we're doing here. We're at the top of the channel. Speak to this because the next chart speaks to the sort of boo. Yeah,
1: like they, the boo, there, boo, boo, uh, boo. Listen, it's obviously been a really nice uh, bottom left to upper right here. It's held that channel, especially if you think about it since um, the mid-May or so. That was the last time we really had um, a meaningful sell-off here. Um, you know, we just put that up for illustration's point. This rally is getting a little extended, but let's go back to 1987. Uh-huh. Look at that. Look at that late spring summer rally here we started to break towards the end of august after we had all of those new highs a lot of them seemed to happen in the first three weeks of that month and then we kind of meandered a little bit in september but then the market crashed you remember 87 guy i think you have a little story about the crash of 87 I don't was, you, buddy? i
0: was i was 23 years old um i was soon to be 24 in december i was a Drexel Burnham-Lambert on 60 Broad Street. Now, remember that October day like it was yesterday because, you know, we didn't have the 24-7 news cycle that was not really business television. So you really only got what was going on in the stock market sort of from the whispers around the desk. But I will tell you, uh, there were a lot of grown men on that desk and they looked really scared. I didn't really have any idea what was going on. It's only in retrospect. But why do we bring up this chart? Because if you look at the channel that Dan drew, hauntingly familiar to what we're in the midst of now. And obviously, in October 1987, things went pear-shaped pretty quickly. The next chart we need to look at, though, Dan, and I know you're going to make fun of me here. Well, which
1: you also remember. And, and, <laughs> which I and, also remember. 1929. I mean, look at that uptrend from the spring into the summer. And then you had a little bit of a breakdown in September, but you had a crash in October, what is it, guy, about August into September and in October? At least not, the, since you've yeah, been in the business, you know, I'm not really interested in the fall. Obviously, listen, I think a lot of it has
0: to do with the fact that summers are typically not a lot happens, as money flows in, people seem to be happy, and then I think people get there, they refocus in the fall for a myriad of different reasons. And look again, that chart this is now 1929, this looks hauntingly familiar, obviously, at 87. And what we're in the midst of now. Now, I don't think you, we're going to. We're calling for an 87 or a 29 like situation. But I got to tell not. you something: the stars are aligned to have a meaningful sell-off. And when I say meaningful, anywhere from 12 to 15 percent. And as we get to the top of this peak in the S and P 500, as we turn the calendar from August to September, just be aware that there are a lot of weird things going on. And we just wanted to illustrate. Obviously, the chart we're in the midst of now, and obviously the 87 and the 29 charts, which again, boom. I yeah, guys, so you,
1: you hear, th- there's all these market sayings, right? I, and I've heard this one over and over again. If I had a dollar for every time I heard it, I, I probably wouldn't be doing this here with you. Mm. But the idea that markets don't crash off of highs, haven't you heard that before? And aren't these two illustrations where the market clearly did crash off of a high? If you go back and look at 2000, and 2000, the market crashed off of a high. 2007, eight, market crashed off of a high. And then, you know, I mean, and then again, obviously in February, March of 2020. So I never really understood that one. And I think you just mentioned the idea of 24 hour news cycles. Certain bad information gets repeated over and over again, and, and Twitter doesn't uh, really really help that either. Um, but again, markets do crash off the highs, and they usually happen, if they're happening off the of highs, over things that people are not placing a high emphasis on. You and I are not calling for that. But when you think about all of the things that you and I try to do on a weekly basis or a daily basis, we're trying to highlight the things that could go wrong. And what did you say when you entered the business? What did you learn? One of the first things at Drexel Burnham uh what can go wrong will
0: go wrong dan nathan that's one of the first things the other thing i learned was (laughs) um you want to sort of dress british that was a thing back in the day and there are other things that i can't mention on this but i think that's exactly right prepare for the worst hope for the best and we're just trying to sort of illustrate what can go wrong here the VIX, you know with the 16 handle to me does not take into consideration some of the headwinds that we face and some of the headwinds that are out there now and i think this Tweet from Carter Braxton Worth is going to make its rounds as August turns into September. Just keep it in mind and remember these charts over the next couple of weeks. Next thing we need to look at, though, is the NDX, as they say, Dan, because once again, here we are to the penny, as they say, what we traded up to. Uh, This is a long term chart, obviously going back to September of last year. We've been in this channel at the upper end of the channel. Do we fail here? Well, the S&P 500 would would. Sort of state that we're probably at the top end of this range as well. And oh, by the way, this has done it on the back of your FMAGA complex. Apple making a new all-time high yesterday. Huge move, single-day move in Apple yesterday. Amazon getting off the mat a bit. Obviously, Microsoft goes up every day. The Google, as you know. So here we are, Dan, with that trend line intact.
1: Yeah. So what's interesting to me about the NASDAQ, this is the NDX and NASDAQ 100 right now. I think it's the fewest amount of stocks above their 50-day moving average since last September. Um, And, you know, when I look at the other divergence that I see here is that, you know, we've had two double digit declines okay from highs when we've gotten to that trend line here over the last year or so the S&P 500 i think it's more than 200 days since it had a 5% peak to trough mm-hmm. decline here so the declines in the S&P have been much shallower than that of the Nasdaq and we know why the concentration in the Nasdaq 100 in particular the top 5 names make up about 45% of the weight now you just mentioned apple the largest stock breaking out microsoft was at an all time high Yesterday, those two stocks combined are nearly five trillion dollars in market cap. Um, so you have them at highs. If they were all to start to go down together, that's when you have a problem. We did have that guy last September. The S and P went down about ten percent. The Nasdaq one hundred went down fourteen percent. Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, all outperformed to the downside of the broad market. That's why you had that 14% peak to drop decline in the NDX. And then again, in March, when the NASDAQ was unchanged, now what was happening in March? This is what we call a segue, bro. Um, We had rates (laughs) near highs here, and the NASDAQ was unchanged. It was basically getting very close to its 200-day moving average. So you're seeing a bit of a divergence. This chart scares the heck out of me. Did you just bro me? Yes, that
0: is true. That yeah. March, obviously, was when 10-year yields traded up to, I believe, 177. You've seen yeah. what's happened in the wake of that. Obviously, as yields have come back down, it's given sort of the, uh, the impetus. It's given some of the jet fuel for this NASDAQ chart to continue on its merry way. Yeah. And I don't, look, I don't know if it's going to be rates this time, but I, what I will tell you, as Dan has pointed out, you have yeah. seen significant peak to trough declines. And oh, by the way, for all the yields that bow at the altar of Apple, over the last four or five years, you have seen significant moves to the downside, anywhere from 25 to 40% moves to the downside over those years. And here we find ourselves with Apple at all-time highs. So as though I know people say, you own it, you don't trade it. It's been one of the better trading stocks for the last five or so years. Which brings us now, Dan, to our next chart, because this, obviously, we talk about it, the most economically sensitive names. This RTY has basically been in a sideways range for the last seven, eight months, Dan. And I don't see anything necessarily taking it off course now?
1: Yeah, so the Russell 2000, the small caps here, they had that huge ramp after we got the vaccine news in early November, and then also the election news, that seemed to really fuel the outperformance at the time. I mean, they were looking like they are making new lows, right, in, into mm-hmm. the late year or so. So the outperformance made sense. There was a lot of underperformance in the prior, let's say, 12 months off of the lows um, from the pandemic crash here. Um, you know, again, this one, you see where the support is. It keeps banging up against a guy. I am hard-pressed to think the next time it goes back down there, It doesn't break. And the question is, what does that say about the health of the recovery and the ability for all of the easy money policies and all the fiscal stimulus and all the future plans for infrastructure and all the budget deals? What does it say for the potential for future growth? Because the stock market is not the economy. But like you said, the Russell 2000 small caps are very, very sensitive to small moves in the economy. And keep in mind, we obviously had a consumer confidence number that was not mm-hmm.
0: particularly good. Delta variant, I think a lot of things that are going on geopolitically, people are not particularly pleased right now. And again, um, that consumer confidence number is it going to manifest as it's going to make its way into this RTY? I would suggest that it will. Mm-hmm. To answer your question, that 2125 level, there's your support level. Obviously, the top end of that range, 2350 or so. I do think. We're going to test down to that twenty-one twenty-five level. And oh, by the way, maybe it comes in the form of yields trading back down to 1%, which is something you've said now for quite some time. Maybe a falling 10-year would be suggestive of an economic recovery that's not nearly as robust as a lot of people want it to be or think it was going to be four or five months ago, Dan. I think that's important. And that speaks to, obviously, the next segue we go is to 10-year. By the way, we put these charts in order for a reason, folks. We try to make it seamless for you in terms of the things we're talking about. And RTY to the 10-year makes a lot of sense. We're in this. I don't know if this is a hungry crocodile or an angry alligator or something. But what I will tell you is we've been in this bit of a pennant formation. I think most people will say you have a bit of a, wait for it, death cross. I can't even believe I just did that. In the form of the 50 and the 200-day moving averages uh, trading over one another. I will tell you right now, Dan will speak to this. You know, you get through 115 on the downside and Katie barred the door again. I don't know if she is, but she better watch that door, Dan, because it could get very ugly very quickly.
1: You know, There's a lot of people, Guy, who've been very critical of the Fed, that they've left their kind of foot on the pedal of easy monetary policy for too long. They've tried to explain very clearly what they're focused on. they There's still six or seven or maybe 8 million jobs pre-pandemic that have not come back here, and they're really focused on that full employment. They're willing to let inflation run a little hot. They've been saying that for nine months right now. And I know that the chorus for a taper got very large to curb inflation pressures, but the 10-year yield it's saying something different. And you and I have gone back and forth on this for months here. So the question that I would have right now, you just mentioned the 50-day crossing below the 200-day moving average in this 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. You see that little uptrend from that double bottom that it made in July and early August. If we were to go back there and break that 1.13% level, what might that be saying about growth? What might it be saying about a taper? Um, so to me, you know, that's really the key thing. Right here now. Listen, if you get a breakout above that downtrend that's been in place since the spring, um, it may say something different. But we'd have to see the data that starts to support it. And you just mentioned that consumer confidence number—very, very very disappointing. And I know we have this jobs report coming out on Friday. It's going to be kind of important as far as an input and what the Fed might signal at their September meeting. Um, But again, I I I, suggest—I suspect—they're going to continue to be very cautious and data-dependent as they have said, guy.
0: No question about it. one of the things that gives them support and gives them some air cover is the next chart we're going to look at, which is this Bloomberg Commodities Index, yeah. which you know what was off to the races and now that seems to be turning over as well. If they get a break in, in the form of commodities breaking down, obviously that speaks to the exact narrative that they wanted to. Again, doesn't look like it's going to happen yet. We've obviously <clears throat> seen significant sell-offs in lumber. We've seen significant sell-offs in some of the other commodities that they watch. And if we do see this BCOM roll over, Dan, in the form of through sort of like that 90 level on the downside, I think that's going to give them all the cover they need to sort of continue to push this whole – this whole experiment out yeah. uh, over the next few months.
1: Yeah, when I look at this Bloomberg Commodity Index, I know that like, you know, 30% of it is crude and it's natural gas and there's some gold and then there's copper and there's there's a bunch of other industrial commodities here. And to me, I think this is kind of an interesting chart because you see that kind of it's been trending higher, but it did not make a new high right here. So to your point, Guy, it bounced off the lower bounds of that um, uptrend that's been in place since the winter here. Let's see if it can make a new high or let's see if it gets rejected at those prior highs and goes back towards those lows. But again, to your point, I think that commodity prices are a huge economic input for a lot of the industries that the Fed tracks here and obviously a huge input as far as inflation is concerned. So that one is on our radar, if you will. But to me, Guy, just to wrap up this one kind of little area here, if rates were to go lower, the Fed were to continue to, to hint to the fact that at sooner or later they will be tapering. I think that really is a referendum on expected growth. And especially if you throw in commodity prices without making new highs here, that would be kind of the issue for me. And that might signal that equities are in for a little bit of a pullback, which I think would be pretty healthy, Guy. You mentioned, you know, 10 to 12 percent. That gets you back to the 200-day moving average in the S&P 500.
0: Now, what time of year is it, Dan? We mentioned it's August. What do people typically do ahead of Labor Day? They go on vacation. Is that fair? It is
1: fair, Guy Dami. And we also well, uh, have people cutting their lawns. And I have one outside. Oh, well, that, no, right you want, listen, it's right important. Listen, yeah. I
0: think it's important. You want to keep that grass trim. You want to look good, especially this time of year. But I mentioned vacation because Chris Vecchio happens to be on vacation. But you know what? He loves the macro setup. He clearly loves Dan Nathan and Guy Adami. And he's joining us from his vacation. Parts Unknown, Senior Strategist, Daily FX, Chris Vecchio. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. You've heard what we said. Opine for a few minutes before we get to some of your charts, young
2: man. Gentlemen, it's great to see you again. You know, you're talking a lot about the perhaps overextended nature of equity markets here, uh, but there's something that comes to mind. A uh, guy who goes by the name of Josh Brown, perhaps the reformer. Mm, TRB, you know him? Yeah. Yes he he put out a great blog post last year about why this time is different than 1929, and. Uh, You know, two of the main factors that he pointed to, of course, were the structure of the equity market's different. We now have Roth IRAs and 401ks and retirement savings plans that just didn't exist in the 1930s that uh, represent a significant part of a solid base for continued buying efforts, unlike we saw in previous episodes. And importantly, another big difference is, of course, is that the Fed has teeth this time around. Now, you may say that in 1987, the Fed did exist. It certainly had more muscle but it was Greenspan's speech that more or less put a stop on the selling. So, uh, the way that I see things here right now, if we do see a big market crash, a big market move, that's really bad because it means that the Fed's lost control of the narrative, and and that would really spook investors. Not just for a simple one-off flash crash type of move, but would be something more significant that could lead to an extended period of a drawdown. Uh, with that said, the Fed's really putting markets in a sweet spot right now. It's a sweet spot for growth over value, and I see it that way because. We're in this place where the Fed is talking about tapering, but not yet tightening. So rates aren't going anywhere. And that means the economy is in good enough footing to keep corporate earnings supported for the foreseeable future. Now, something also of interest that comes to mind is what's happened to yields during periods outside of QE. Well, between QE 1 and 2, yields fell. And between QE 2 and Operation Twist, yields fell. And when the taper started, yields fell again. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, if equity markets have a large... Uh, substantiation of their value based on what the bond market's doing, the bond market may remain supportive for the foreseeable future. And if you think that less stimulus means less inflationary pressure, of course, you take that inflation premium out of the long bond, that brings yields lower as well. So I do think that stocks still have a little bit of a way to go. They can still trade higher from here. I wouldn't be surprised if we continue to trudge higher. But as you said, the next few weeks, we're in the teeth of it. We're in the teeth of it for the summer we have Labor Day coming up. We have Yom Kippur, we have Rosh Hashanah. This is historically a time in the market when things can get a little dicey. But if we do make it through the end of September, we get to that September 20th pharmacy meeting, that could be a new starting point for the next leg up if there is indeed a pullback here between now and then.
0: Well, you see what you know? We try to tie bows and ribbons. You know, Dan and I handled the first two of our top three. You mentioned the third. You also mentioned Roth R R I I think, of course, of the great. Hyman Roth. That's just the way my mind works. And you talked <laughs> about twist. And I think about Tony twist for you NHL fans out there and enforcer back in the day. But let's take a look at your first thing. This is Fed rate hike odds. Probability. Speak to us. A lot of lines there. I'm not that bright. Walk me through it.
2: Sure. So I have them in uh, New York Mets, orange, white and blue. Because nice. Just well been done. So much flack on your Twitter feed recently, Guy, and rightfully so. Uh, so perhaps this is self-soothing, but a few lines here, you know, the orange line is the two, five, 10, uh, belly, a butterfly of the yield curve. We're talking about the white line being federate hike odds basis points to the end of 2023. Uh assuming that's the blue line. And then the white line is the dollar index. Now, what do we notice here? Uh, the white line, the dollar index is tending to track those federate hike odds. And so even if the taper is beginning to be priced into markets that the belly of the yield curve is acting in a manner consistent with what it did back in 2013, 2014, the dollar index seems to care more about the fact that rate hikes are not tapering. Tapering is not tightening. Tapering is going slower down the highway, not going into reverse. So, right now this could be a little bit of an albatross for the dollar. If we see that tapering efforts go forward, yields come down and hike odds don't rise, and of course that could be good for equity markets.
0: Are you with me, Dan? I thought Dan was going to jump in, but clearly Dan is he's looking up Tony Trisch well, right you now know, on the we, internet.
1: Sorry, no, Dan. Got- No, no, you got me. You got me with the Hyman Roth quote guy. And I'm not sure if our macro setup audience is down with with some of your Godfather 2 references. But I would just tell you this. History has taught us anything that higher rates can kill a stock market rally. You see what I mean? I like what
0: you did there. If history taught us anything. Dan's pulling some Godfather stuff. I mean, Chris has no time for you right now, nor do I. Let's take a look at your next chart, the Russell Chris Vecchio, because... Look, it appears as though, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, we're precariously close to breaking this significant uptrend we've been in. Obviously, we traded through it. We're back up against it. I know what your thoughts are, but opine, please, for us.
2: Well, the way I see this is we are potentially working our way through two false bearish breakouts. I mean, if we can reestablish ourselves a little bit higher from here over the coming weeks, it looks like we're back within the pandemic uptrend. And after several months of distribution of moving sideways, uh, any evidence that the economy is surviving the delta wave, which there appears to be a slowing rate of infection seen in the United States. China, of course, those caseloads are back under two dozen, three dozen per day. And so in terms of the, will the global economy slow down narrative because of this delta wave, it just seems to be part of that wall of worry we've been talking about for so long. So, you know, with the way that crude oil has been moving, uh, the way that the economic data has been evolving, LANFED GDP now still has 3Q growth Over 5% for the U.S. That's still very, very strong. As we know, there's still potentially more fiscal stimulus coming down the pipeline. The Russell may be in a good position to finally shake off what's been a few months, six months long doldrum here. And once we get through the middle of September begin to start pressing towards new highs. Yeah, but Chris,
1: I got to tell you though, when you look at the consolidation here, and I think that uptrend is a very important line that you've drawn and it's contended with it. So you can say that we've had some kind of false breakouts, but we've also had, you know, at this point, it looks like a double bottom over the last couple of months, right? And so we really need the impetus to get that thing to break out and establish a new range, I mean, we literally would have to have this this COVID-19 and all the variants in the rearview mirror, in my opinion, because there's no reason why it shouldn't be confirming the new highs in the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. And we've talked about that when we started this program, is that the amount of new highs, the persistent new highs in the S&P 500 and the inability for small caps to get going That's problematic. And I can see you're looking at it through rose-colored glasses. Um, But at this point, up 20% in the S&P 500, um, and this thing can't get out of its own way, that's saying something very different to me.
2: I hear you. I understand that completely. I I think I'm being a little bit more of an optimist. I do have rose-colored glasses on here. But uh, if history is our tell, then I'm certainly of the mindset that the Fed is going to be playing this taper Lower than they have even indicated. I know Jerome Powell said that the inflation mandate's been met. They're going to slow walk this. They're going to hold the market's hand for the foreseeable future. And plus, the balance sheet is so much bigger than it was post global financial crisis. It's going to be very difficult for them to unwind that without significant market damage.
0: <clears throat> you know, in The Godfather too, they also had that big meeting in Cuba where all the business leaders were there. Michael was there, and they passed around a gold phone. And I think a lot of the folks were somewhat. Uh, i uh, shocked at how much the gold weighed, obviously, having picked up gold bars. I know, but I bring that up because gold is weighing on me right now, Chris Vecchio. Speak to it because, again, I want it to get out of its own way, but maybe that is me looking through rose-colored glasses.
2: Uh, you know, gold, what's there to say about it? We've made some significant technical progress here where we've gotten back above a long-standing uptrend from the May 2019, March 2020, March 2021 lows. We're back within a potential symmetrical triangle that we highlighted a few weeks ago. And heck, there may be even a double or triple bottom formed right around that 1680 level. But we're still not cracking through 1835. And we have the best environment in the rearview mirror right now for gold prices. So unless we see some significant fiscal incompetence coming down the pipeline, perhaps a breach of the US debt ceiling, I'm not sure what catalysts lie ahead right now to push gold higher. And in an environment where we're seeing liquidity withdrawal and then spinning around and perhaps even growth concerns. What happened last March? Gold went in the tank for a little while. So I don't know if we're getting back to all time highs. I'm very ambivalent here. As you guys have talked about, if we have incremental dollars right now, do we want to put them into a, you know, a shiny rock that's moving sideways? Or do you think people want to go back into crypto? I think crypto remains the place where each incremental dollar may be going at this point in time.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And we've talked about that a lot. And I just think it's also interesting that you know one of the pillars of the bull case for crypto had always been obviously store of value, but also the ability for payments. And one of the things that I find most interesting about this last few weeks in cryptos is this explosion in non-fungible tokens, NFTs, and they are being purchased with crypto and they're being gas fees on Ethereum network and Solana. In crypto, so so you're seeing that whether you think they're worthless or not is another you know just another discussion altogether. But the payments mechanism is working right now here, and I do think that incremental dollar goes to crypto, especially as the space gets bigger and bigger. And I'll say this, Guy Dami, if I'm well, buying my wife something for maybe the anniversary or a birthday or something like that, and I'm going through the gold family, I'm probably doing rose gold over just kind of you know, the other gold. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure, but you should definitely
0: go to the Tiffany's for that. I mean, I find that when you go to the premier uh, outlets, they, they don't do the same job as a, um, as sort of the gold standard, which would be Tiffany's. So yeah, please we're get really, the blue We're box. really,
1: we're really dri- driving this one into into the uh, into the you ground You, you asked
0: me about gross yeah. gold. Listen, dollar no, yen. We, to- yeah, let's Chris do it. Chris Vecchio, just talk to me about dollar <laughs> yen. Let's just get off the whole thing and go to the yen here.
2: You know, yen, as we talked about last week, it could be in a grindhouse for a sideways move. If yields are coming down and equity markets are going up, that puts dollar or yen in a sideways grind. And, and it's been that way for several months now. So perhaps we're starting to form into, funnel into a symmetrical triangle. It's coming after a, a longer term that lasted for about seven months this year, a rising bearish wedge, which speaks to more downside potential. Uh, but that could be perhaps the perfect storm for dollar or yen, right? If we do see equity markets t- tilt lower, Dollar-yen would be the tell. We have yields coming down, stocks coming down. That's bad for dollar-yen. So this is the place where I'm looking to see a you know, cross-asset across markets, confirmation if there's weakness coming into equity markets. For now, nothing really to like, either from the long side or short side. You know, There's a different interpretation, perhaps inverse head and shoulder over the last few weeks since the beginning of July. That would speak to higher prices, but we're not getting anything. And I don't think we're going to see anything here for the next little while. We are, of course, coming into low liquidity periods around Labor Day, around Rosh Hashanah, around Yom Kippur. It's very possible that this continues to grind sideways until we get to that September 20th pharmacy meeting.
0: Take us out with the euro, because that's obviously, you know, one of the currencies we have to watch a lot, a lot of weird things going on. I think we bottomed out. We talked about this last week and now this chart is starting to back that up. Uh, Speak to me about euro here, Chris.
2: Right now we saw that false break below the 117 figure setting a new fresh yearly low, but of course, it didn't last too long. And as discussed last week, this would be a turning sign, a turning point for the broader dollar index, of which it is 57.6%. Now, having just broken that downtrend from the June and, and July swing highs here, it now looks like the euro has a clean shot up into the 119 area in the very short term. That could mean more weakness for the US dollar, which we've seen follow through today. And it's worth pointing out that the euro is having a very strong day today after we heard news from the ECB, where they're basically saying that their mantra is lower for longer, that they're going to continue to provide easing. And it's not shaking the euro here. Do I think the euro is in a great position long term? No, I think the inflation differentials right now favor a much weaker euro dollar. If you look at the spread between eurozone and US core inflation rates, historically, you pull that forward by six months. And that means we could have more euro weakness, broadly speaking, in the months ahead through the end of the year. But in the very near term right now, higher prices seem likely I'm looking up into 119 before I'm starting to eye potential selling opportunities.
0: Yeah, I actually think we might actually test that 122 level. We'll see what the correlation is with the dollar index. Is that 88 level that we've tried traded down to and held so many times as a finally breach? Or does it hold once again? Dan, some closing thoughts before we say Goodbye to Chris Vecchio and allow him to enjoy the rest of his vacation.
1: Yeah, Chris, thanks for joining us. Great stuff, as always. Enjoy the rest of your vacation, bud. Um, listen, I'll just say this, is that you know we, we have a level of complacency in the stock market where I think a lot of people are focused on those things that help be supportive of it, despite all the headwinds. You mentioned the VIX at 16 guy. I'm looking at a lot of single stock option um straddles that look way too cheap if i look out over the next month month and a half or so so to me i think that presents a little bit of opportunity i suspect we're going to see some downward volatility between now and let's say the end of october and forget the scary stuff and i'll just say this guy i'm very happy that this is the business that we have chosen
0: <laughs> i mean the godfather stuff just keeps coming in yeah, and coming in yeah. although chris Mecchio with those glasses he looks more like uh Robert De Niro at the end of Casino. But that's, a, that's completely another time, another show, another movie. But I want to thank Chris Vecchio again. He joined us from his vacation. Senior strategist at Daily FX does great work. And today's Macro Setup was brought to you by our presenting sponsors, IGUS, one of the fastest growing Forex dealers in North America. And, of course, our friends at Open Exchange. They manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Dan, will I see you next week on the Macro Setup?
1: You got it, buddy. I'll see you on It'll Tuesday. be
0: September. I'll see you next week.
1: See you next week. Thanks, guys.